0: Thank you, Tyler. We'll take your Bible, if you will, this morning and turn to Psalm 136. Psalm 136, and the title of the message this morning is, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Now, the 136th Psalm uh, is a psalm that is all about giving thanks to God. We don't know when it was written. The Bible says it was a psalm of David. uh, But we don't know the time or the occasion That This psalm was penned, but uh, we do know from the way the psalm is written, remember that most of the psalms were sung, and all of the psalms were used in worship. It was like the ancient hymn book uh, of uh, the Israelites is what the psalms were. And so in this book, in the psalm 136 psalm, uh, we we see a refrain. If you look at it, uh, as you go through each verse, In between every verse, there's the same statement, for His mercy endures forever. And many uh, students of Scripture, when they look at this, they believe that what the ancient Israelites probably did when they used this psalm in their worship is that the leader would read the verse... And then the congregation would respond for his mercy endures forever. And then the the reader, the leader would give the second stanza, the second verse and recount something that God had done or some way that God, uh, some reason that he should be praised. And the congregation would respond for his mercy endures forever. So why don't we try that? That's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, As we begin, we're going to look at the 136th Psalm and examine about giving thanks, the admonition the psalmist has for us to give thanks to the Lord. So what we're going to do, and and by the way, you'll see this as we go through this psalm. This psalm is really recounting to the people of Israel the wonderful works that God had done for them and reasons that they should be praising God. So it's almost like a little bit of a history lesson, a little bit of a science lesson, Uh, There's a lot of lessons in this psalm. So I'm going to read, if you can turn to the 136th psalm, I'm going to read each verse. It starts out, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And as soon as I read that statement, you're going to respond all together for his mercy endures forever. And we're going to keep doing that until we finish the 136th psalm. So you think about each verse that we say and you repeat that stanza. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. O oh, give thanks to the God of gods. O oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his mercy forever. To Him who alone does great wonders. For his mercy forever. To Him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. For his mercy forever. To him who made great lights. For his mercy forever. The sun to rule by day. For his mercy forever. The moon and stars to rule by night. For his mercy forever. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn. For his mercy forever. And brought out Israel from among them. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea in two, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrow overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, to him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings, For his mercy and slew famous kings, For his mercy endures forever. Sion king of the Amorites, For his mercy and Og king of Bashan, For his mercy and gave their land as a heritage, For his mercy endures forever. a heritage to Israel his servant who remembered us in our lowly state for his mercy endures forever. and rescued us from our enemies for his mercy endures forever. who gives food to all flesh for his mercy endures forever. oh give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy, his mercy, mercy endures, forever. endures forever now that's like a song you can't get out of your mind you're going to be you're going to be repeating that tonight when you try to go to bed for his mercy endures forever forever. So in that psalm, the 136 psalm, it begins with an admonition and it ends with the admonition, "Oh give thanks" to the Lord. And in between those two admonitions are many reasons that the original hearers, the original uh, ones who quoted this psalm, had to give thanks to God because they were the ancient Israelites. And all through this psalm, it recounts the story of God's deliverance. So let's walk with them, if we will, and begin there in Psalm 136, verse 1 through 3. And one of the first reasons that not only the ancient Israelites, but you and I have to give thanks to God is because he is the ruler of the universe. And the first thing we find out about this great ruler is in verse number one, we find the nature of of this ruler. The Bible says uh, in verse number one, well, I better get on the right page. Psalm 136, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. That is about the nature of God. Now one of the first things that Satan will do, or any critic will do, to destroy your faith in God, one of the first targets that Satan has is to attack the nature of God. He will not even attack the existence of God. The first thing that the devil will do to tear your faith down is to tell you that God is not good. He won't even waste time trying to convince you that God doesn't exist. He'll do that later. But the first thing he'll do is tell you that God is not good. And he will use examples from your life or from the lives of people you love or from the world in general. And he will say, look at all the the wickedness. Look at all the suffering. Look at all the evil. There is no way that God is good. God is not good. All you have to do is go back to Genesis 1. And you find that was the trick that Satan used in the garden when he spoke to Eve. And Eve said, Well, the Lord has said that we're not to partake of this fruit. And Satan says, Oh, well, that's because God is keeping something good from you. God is not really good. He doesn't want the best for you. God is hiding something from you. He attacked the nature of God. He said that God is not good. And the psalmist He counters that refrain and he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. If just for a moment, and certainly we all wrestle with things that happen in our life and in this world. That's that's part of living on this life. But But I think and I have thought through this quite a bit. Let's just assume for a moment that God is not good. Let's just assume for a moment maybe that God does not even exist. My friend, then we are truly a wretched soul, are we not? To live in this world of sorrow and pain and suffering with no hope. With no hope of there being a time when God comes and makes things right. No hope of redemption. No hope of eternity. No hope of any reconciliation for all the evil that occurs. And and I just love passages in Scripture that remind us of the goodness of God. And if you're going through a difficult time this morning, I want you to encourage you, don't shrink from the goodness of God, but embrace the goodness of God. And you say, well, Brother William, I'm having trouble with that. Well, just focus and think about that. Let me give you a couple of passages. Psalm 34, 7. The Bible says, The angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. And in Nahum one seven the prophet said, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows them that trust in him. Lamentations three, twenty-one, the Prophet says, Then I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. And by the way, Lamentations was a a book of Scripture that was written as its name suggests, by a very sorrowful prophet, a prophet who was lamenting the state of the world that he lived in, lamenting the state of his people and his own state. But yet in that lamentations, he says I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. And I said that just a moment ago. It's the goodness of God that gives me hope. Contrary to the many terrible things that happen around us and even in my life or your life, it is the goodness of God that gives me hope that God is good. In Lamentations, he says, Therefore have I hope I, I make to return to my heart. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him." We give thanks to God because of His nature, because God is a good God. He loves us. He cares for us. Yes, Satan is having a heyday, and yes, Satan is wreaking havoc, but God is good, and we worship Him and give Him thanks because He is good. But not only that, in the second verse, it says, Give thanks to the God of gods and give thanks to the Lord of lords. We're talking about God being the great ruler. Not only is His nature such that He is good, but He is greater than any other power in the universe. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Romans 8:38 tells us, "For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus." our Lord. Paul says nothing can separate you and nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate the believer from the love of God, not persecution, not death, not sickness, not things that have happened in the past, not things that are going to happen in the future, not our mind, not our thoughts. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is the God of gods. He is above every power. He is the Lord of lords. Greater than any authority that has ever been or ever will be. And in 1 John 4, 3, John says, he says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. If you're a believer, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that is why as a believer, you and I are encouraged, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Over and over again the Bible says don't be afraid because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Spirit of God lives in you and lives in me and it should give us courage and boldness to face the trials and the difficulties and the uncertainties of life because we give thanks to God because he is the great ruler. He is good, he is the God of gods, and he is the Lord of lords. But not only that, the psalmist goes on into verse number 4. And he talks about the creation. Not only is he the great ruler, but he is the great creator. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who alone does great wonders. You know, you could imagine a pile of bricks. There's probably a pile of bricks and everyone's... You've got a pile of bricks somewhere at your home. Just a big pile of bricks. They don't make anything. They're just just piled up. Well, you could take those pile of bricks and you could make a fireplace, or you could build a wall, or if there's enough of them, you could build a house. But of course, you'd have to design that and put it together. You may not have may not have the skill to do to do that. But I think about God. The psalmist says, "Who alone does great wonders." God, in the beginning, the Bible says, God created the heavens and. The earth, everything that exists, God created. The psalmist goes on. He says, to him who by wisdom made the heavens, to him who laid out the earth above the waters, to him who made great lights for his mercy. Uh, I'll skip that. You've already said that enough. To him who made great lights, the sun to rule by day and the moon and stars to rule by night. God possesses all knowledge, but he also has the wisdom to use that knowledge. It's been said that knowledge is a collection of facts. But wisdom is the ability to take those facts and accomplish something with them. To be able to take knowledge that you possess and make something positive. Not only does God have knowledge, but God has wisdom. And you think about the wonders of creation. And, you know, I've talked about this before. But one of the, one, to me, one of the great wonders of the universe is the scale of the universe. If you think about it for a moment, all of us operate within a scale Meaning, we can hear, right? But we can't hear everything. If it's so high, we call that a dog whistle, right? You know, if it's so high, the human ear cannot hear it. If it's so low, the human ear cannot hear it. We can see, but we must have light. So if it's dark enough, we can't see. We can't see in the dark. Uh, we, We can move, we can run, but we can only run so fast. We operate within a scale. But think about God. He does not operate within a scale. He operates at every scale. And what I mean by that, if you think about the smallness of the atom and the neutron, and I'm not a scientist by no means, but from what I understand, if you took 50 million atoms and lined them up, it would go about one centimeter. 50 million atoms lined up would go about one centimeter. And within an atom, there are neutrons and protons that occupy the atom's nucleus. And a scientist that I read behind said the nucleus of an atom is tiny, only one millionth of a billionth of the full volume of the atom, but fantastically dense since it contains all of the, virtually all of the atom's mass. If an atom were expanded to the size of a cathedral... The nucleus of that atom would only be about the size of a fly, but a fly that weighed many times more than the cathedral. So you can't see an atom. You can't even see a neutron or a nucleus that are within the atom. You have to have a microscope to be able to see that. But yet God created the atom and he created the nucleus and the proton. And I understand there's even something now they call a quark, Q-U-A-R-K, uh, i trying to look for some of our college students that might help us with that. And, uh, but even smaller than the atom are these little things called quarks. You know, just as, as our ability with, with equipment and microscopes are expanded, we can see smaller and smaller things. But yet God created all of those things that are unimaginably small. But not only can God do those intricate little creations, but God can do great big creations like our universe. Not only do we have to have aid to see the little things that God has created, like the nucleus of an atom, uh, but we have to have telescopes to see the things that God has created that are fantastically huge and the distances that God has created. I don't know if y'all were able to get the the slides up there or not. Were y'all able to do that? Note, that means we were not. So, uh, thumbs down. I'm just glad I'm not in the arena, you know, back in Roma days, because I think when they did that, that was not good news. So, uh, anyway, I had a couple of slides, uh, but you can look those up. But if you take the size of the earth, we think the earth is, is great and just huge. But if you take the earth and you compare it to the size of the sun, the earth is very, very small, almost like the head of a pen. And then if you take the sun and compare it to the sizes of other um, suns or stars or, or or bodies that are in our universe, you can 't even see the sun. the sun is so small, and so you begin to try to think about that. we think about the and the earth would be would be invisible at that point, the size of these bodies in our universe, so not only did God create the atom, but we go and God created us. You look in the mirror. I mean most of us are a wonder to behold, with a few exceptions. you know you, you look in the mirror. And and God is fantastically complex, how he created mankind. But yet not only did he create mankind, but he created the atoms. We're made of atoms, by the way, and he created the universe, the vastness of space. I mean, my goodness, I'm not very smart, but the idea that all of that could take place with no designer, no one to lay down the blueprint. For all of this to happen, you know, we've advanced and know about human DNA. And and, I mean, even flies have DNA. Every living being has a blueprint. That's all DNA is. It's a blueprint. You know, when you were made, the first thing that happened was a blueprint was laid down. This is what you're going to look like. This is what sex you're going to be. You know, this is uh, some of the problems you're going to have in your life. You're going to lose your hair. You're not going to lose your hair. All that's in your DNA and it was laid out on a blueprint. And then it was built upon that blueprint. God created this universe. And so many things that we haven't even discovered yet. That we don't even know how it works. God is the great creator. He alone has done great wonders. It is He that has made all of creation, the earth and the sky. God is one to be thanked. I don't understand a lot about God, but I do know this. As the old song says, somebody bigger than you and I. A little chorus. Who made the earth and who made the sky? Somebody bigger than you or I. God is bigger than you. Than we can imagine. And by the way. Let me just say. When we talk about God being good. That I hope will encourage you. The idea and the fact. That God is so great. That he has this ability. Whatever it is that you and I are wrestling with. that We think is such a great problem. And we don't understand why God would let that happen. Remember. God is so much greater. Than my problem or your problem. God is so much. He is. He has a vast plan that you and I can only see a little sliver of. Don't lose faith in God. Don't lose hope. Remember that He alone has done these great wonders. Well, not only that, but we go through the passage and we go down to verse number 10 and we move from the nature of God as a great ruler and a great creator and now some actual things that God had done in the life of the people of Israel. And they go back to when they were slaves in Egypt. And when God delivered them out of that slavery and brought them into the promised land and the psalmist there in verse 10, it says to him who struck Egypt in their firstborn and brought out Israel from among them with a strong hand with an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. There are two tracks in these passages that go side by side. First of all, God is the great Redeemer. He is bringing His people out of a terrible situation. But at the same time, we see not only God redeeming His people and bringing them out of bondage with miraculous events, but at the same time, we see God executing judgment upon the sinner. And we must never forget that not only is God a good God, but because He is a good God, Sin will not go unpunished. The Bible says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Especially, my dear brother and sister, if you are a child of God. The Bible says, The Lord chastens those that are His. He disciplines those that are His. Now, if you are not a child of God, you may wait until your life is over before your sin ever catches up with you. But I'm firmly convinced, my friend, if you're a child of God, God is going to go in search of you You belong to Him. And He will cause your sin to become apparent. He wants you to live right. He wants you to follow Him. And He is going to judge sin. So we see here that God is to be praised and He is to be thanked, first of all, because He judged the Egyptians for their sin. And not only did He judge the Egyptians for their sin, but He brought His people out of bondage. He is the great Redeemer. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. And then in verse 13 and 15, it speaks about him making a way through the Red Sea. And I think about 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where the Apostle Paul says, There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you were able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it or that you may be able to overcome it. Well, look there in verse number 16. After they've left the land of Egypt, they've been redeemed from their slavery. The Bible says in verse 16, to him who led his people through the wilderness. He is the great guide. Not only the great redeemer, but the great guide. He guides us through this life. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, 1, but now thus says the Lord that Created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name, thou art mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia, and Seba. For thee. There in Isaiah, the God of hosts, the God who is the great Redeemer, he reminds his people that I will guide you, I will lead you, and he reminds you, he reminds me, we should give thanks to God because God knows where you are. He knows where I am, and he has a, he has a purpose and he has a plan for each of our lives. And then in verse 22, he's the great champion. Or verse 17, I should say. It says, To him who struck down great kings. Remember, they came through uh, the wilderness. And when they got to the promised land, remember when the first spies went in, they said, Listen, we've made a bad mistake here, guys. I mean, these people, I mean, we're out of the pot into the fire. You know, we left Egypt and thought everything was going to be great. We got out of the wilderness. Now here we are in the promised land. And I'm telling you, the folks in the promised land, these are some bad dudes. And there's no way we're going to be able to conquer these people. We're going to die, I'm sure. And, of course, that was not the case. The Lord did grant them deliverance. And here the psalmist records it. And he mentions a couple of the the nations that they defeated. He said, he struck down great kings and he slew famous kings. Shan, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. And he gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. We all have struggles in life. We all have battles. Some battles in life, we create our own battles and we get into trouble because we got into trouble. And we have a battle because we started a fight we shouldn't have started. But then there are other times that we have battles that Satan sends against us. A good example in the Bible is Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul said it was a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Satan sent something in Paul's life that created problems for him and created a hardship for him and and he wanted it removed. Paul said it was a burden and it was something that caused him great distress. Obviously, we don't know what it it was, if it was a physical ailment, if it was something else. Many people have tried to guess, but that's not important. What is important is that Paul identifies it as something from Satan. Something that Satan sent to destroy Paul, to make Paul weaker. And it did make him weaker in his eyes. He said he, it made him weak. And he wanted to be strong for God. And you all know the story. As he laid out his request to God and said, Lord, three times he prayed, he fasted. Lord, remove this from me. I know you're the great conqueror. You're the great redeemer. You're the great deliverer. I know you're able and I have faith that you are able. Lord, remove it. And I feel confident that Paul... Was confident in his mind. That God was going to do it. God was going to do it. God was going to remove it. And it was going to be a great deliverance. And he was going to give praise and glory to God. And God was going to be glorified. And nothing happened. And he did it again the second time. And nothing happened. And he prayed again the third time. And and then finally God speaks to Paul. And you remember the story. The Lord told Paul. My grace is sufficient for you Paul. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So as we recount God's great victories for the people of Israel, and I tell you that God is one who will give a great victory to you and a great victory to me, I want you to understand and I don't want you to miss that your victory may not look like you think it's going to look. You see, God gave Paul a great victory, but it didn't look like the victory he anticipated. The victory he anticipated was that God was going to miraculously remove that thorn in the flesh and that he was going to be free in his mind to do great works for God. But God said, no, that's not the kind of victory that I'm going to give you, Paul. I'm going to let the thorn stay there. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you multiplied grace and I'm going to give you my strength, which is so much better than your strength. And my strength is going to enable you to do so much more because you're going to realize your own weakness and walk in my strength. So my friend, we talk about God being the great champion and I'm going to read these passages about God giving victory but I want you to understand that sometimes God's greatest victories come through the darkest trials of your life. And they don't come because God prevents you from trial but they come because God holds your hand through the trial. They don't come because God shelters you from trouble or from heartache or from pain, but they come because God comforts you and walks with you in the midst of that heartache and that pain and that sorrow. So we read this God who is the great champion, who gave God's people victory over their enemies and I think about Romans 8:37. Which I know you're all familiar with where the writer of Romans Paul says no in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And remember if you go back I don't have time to read the pretext to that. But it, it is exactly what I said earlier. All these things that Paul is talking about are trials and tribulations and difficulties and hardships and, 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 and terrible things. And Paul gets to the end of listing all those bad things and he says, no, but in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And so the kind of victory that Paul envisioned was not a victory free from struggle or free from pain, but a victory in the midst of struggle and in the midst of pain. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 John 5, 4 John says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Revelation 15, 2. You know, Revelation is a scary book. It can be. And you read through Revelation, you read about the mark of the beast... You read about the beast and the false prophet and the great power and the Bible says they attack the people of God and they persecute the people of God and they kill the people of God with the edge of the sword and it seems that they're wrecking havoc left and right. They're winning on every turn. In the physical world, it seems that God's people are losing on every turn. But I love Revelation 15 too. There John says, and I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and those that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God and they sing the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the Lamb saying great and marvelous are thy works Lord God Almighty just and true are thy ways thou king of saints. There. These men in the book of Revelation. They're these men and women who have gotten victory over the uh, false prophet and victory over the beast. They're standing on that sea of glass and they're singing a song of victory. Not because they've been sheltered, but because they've went through heartache and trial and trouble. And God has given them victory in the midst of that trouble. Well, lastly, if you look. If you look there in verse number twenty-five, it says, "Who remembered us in our lowly state?" Really, these last three verses are kind of like a summary. It says, "Who remembered us in our lowly state, and they and He rescued us from our enemies, and He gives food to all flesh. He remembered us, He rescued us, and He provides for us." The psalmist says, and lastly. The psalm ends as it began with an admonition. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven for His mercy endures forever. Why? He is the great ruler. Why? He is the great creator. Why? He is the great redeemer. Why? He is the great guide. Why? He is the great champion. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for His mercy endures forever. Father, we come this morning and we do give you thanks. We give you thanks that your mercy endures forever. We give you thanks for your faithfulness. That you're faithful in the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of trouble. And God, I pray for every person present today. You know the need, the burden that each person has. And God, I pray for those in need this morning that you would minister your love and your grace to them. That, Lord, they would be conscious of your presence, of your goodness. They would not believe the lie of Satan that you are not good. That you do not hear their prayer. But, God, you would make them fully aware that you hear their cry, you hear their prayer. That you are good. That you desire to embrace them with your arms of love. You desire for them to lean upon the everlasting arms. And God, I pray that we all would lean upon your everlasting arms. We thank you. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. Have your will and your way in this invitation. And in each of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. As we stand and sing, if you're here this morning, maybe the Lord has spoken to you and you want to come pray. You want to make a public decision for the Lord You just obey the Holy Spirit as we stand and sing